Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. Hello from Portland. Nice, sunny, warm Portland today. Yeah, what's up with that? I love it, but what's up with it? I'm confused. Well, it's changing tomorrow, so. Okay, good. Back Back to to rainy rainy weather, yes. Excellent. And special guest with us today is Maya Chavin. Welcome, Maya. Hi, nice to be back. So I'm I'm on the way in Tel Aviv, and it's super hot today. Um, yeah, it's, it's like about 40 degrees, I think. 30 to 40 degrees. Wow, so, that's, yeah. that's Celsius. We should point out that's Celsius, not Fahrenheit, oh, yeah. by the way, for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I'm sweating. I'm sweating. <laughs> Believe it. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Maya, welcome back to the show. Like you said, previously you were on an episode 113 talking about CSS and components and storefront UI. And today we're going to talk about a different topic, which we'll get to in just a moment. But first, I just wanted you to reintroduce yourself for those who didn't know who you were, just to have some context for who we're talking to. Okay, so hi again, anyone that's listening to us. So I'm Maya, and I I used to work in Cloudinary before. Just if you haven't haven't heard about Cloudinary, so it's a... Companies that doing image and video optimization on the web, and I just moved to a new job. I'm now a senior software engineer. The, the title change is so confusing in Microsoft, and it's about almost two months since I moved jobs, and so far so good. Oh well, besides coding, I you can also saw me in a conference. I speak about Cloudinary, about JavaScript, about Nuxt.js. I'm an ambassador for Nuxt, and also an MDA, which stands for Media Developer Expert, a program that developed by Cloudinary for uh, on the developer that have or uh, interest in image media optimization performance on the web. Yeah, and you can. You can visit me um, on my blog on mayashavin.com or my Twitter as Twitter at mayashavin. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> awesome. And congratulations on the new position at Microsoft. That's very cool. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was really, really surprised. I, I was totally not, I didn't really expect that to happen. <laughs> you said you were in Tel Aviv, if I remember right. Do they have an yeah. office there? Oh, in Microsoft, we have uh, they have a uh, very big R and D. I think the biggest R and D in Israel right now is in the city next to Tel Aviv, like about 50 minutes from Tel Aviv. It's in it's the it's the city called Hesalia, and we have a very very big office here. And we also have one in Haifa, I think, and uh, several smaller offices. But uh, for R and D, we stay in this office. That's awesome. And I've seen the pictures you've shared on Twitter. It's a very beautiful office as well. It's uh, got a yeah. excellent view around. <laughs> yeah. You, well, you know what? It's every day when I go, every time when I come to the office, actually we're working from home now. Well, like almost everyone else. But every every time when I come to the office, it's like I find a perfect corner randomly whenever I walk past by the office for a, a good selfie or just an Instagram post, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> I bet. Love it here. It's definitely one of the downsides of working from home is you, the, the view may be good if you if you have a good place to live, but it's not as exciting as going somewhere else and seeing it there, right? Right, exactly. Also here we have the gym, like a very big floor, like a whole floor for gym. And yeah, but it's closed during Corona. So 
too bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Welcome, Maya. And you, we asked you to come on today to talk about a talk that you gave recently, I believe at Vue.js Amsterdam, mm -hmm. uh, about using XState with Vue. And for those who have not heard of XState, would you mind giving a brief description of what it is? Well, XState is like the name is a little bit show up already. So XState is actually another way of state machine, the stand for state machine. But it's, an, it's like another way of doing state management in the UI, in your front-end application. So let's say we have UX, we have uh, Redux, Mopix for React application for state management. And XStay can use together with this just to create a whole flow and a, a much better, how to say it, much better state control of your application from like such, for example, like loading, fetching, a promise, all, all of this you can rewrite with them with XStay and and help your apps flow organized in a much better way. Well, to be short, XStay is like finance charge. Well, I know that a lot of people will say, okay, what is finance charge or finance state machine? Just thing is like diagram flow. For example, in UI, from when you move from one from one page to another page, it's actually you move from one stage to another stage. And so this is called a state diagram. And XState is helping you to manage from this whole diagram and give you the whole context of what exactly, how do you write, implement the logic, how you control from one state to another, and then avoid or not any potential bugs that they may have. I guess... I hope that's clear enough. <laughs> yeah. So you, using that example of going from one one part of your, your website to another, XState helps you as a developer ensure that the, the user experiences your website or application in the way that you actually intended it to. Does that sound accurate? Um, it's not like uh, it's also accurate, but to be precise, they say normally when we develop a component and uh, we develop a UI component, we develop some sort, like if we need to do some sort of local state or some sort of state, let's say from loading to loaded or to arrow. So this is actually three different states. And we can create three different Boolean or some kind of like Boolean or some sort of object or map just to manage this. But this it can be very, very buggy if, if become like it is scale bigger in the uh, in the future so with x day you can actually cons make it you can scale it without creating more potential bugs okay yeah one of the things i i hear when when talking about x state is building an application that avoids impossible states yeah and and the example is kind of what you were just saying if if, if you have two booleans let's say we're making an api call you have two booleans. One is success and one is error. And there's a possibility that your application could get into a state where both success and error are true. And that's that shouldn't be possible in, in most circumstances, where if you return and you fail, that's that's wrong. That's not what you intended the, the UI to actually do. So XState helps avoid situations like that, right? Yeah. It's also... It's Change the way of you uh, you implement implement your your logic because let's say I got the same thing in my in my my work. For example, I well we when we talk about uh, just an example of loading, we talk about loading. We always say okay, we have only two to stay here, loading or loaded. But in the in actually in reality, sometimes we want to be loading and uh, display a message of loading, and then you say okay. It's loading, but uh, you want to to do like after thirty seconds, you want to display a message. After um, one minute, you want to display some other message, and so on. So with X day, with the machine that is with the whole mindset that you can add another state inside the current state flow without change, make a dramatic change in your code. And that's also make sure that uh, your test will not fail without you know what happened in, in the background. So it sounds like it makes the, your application more predictable. Yes, exactly. Okay, that sounds pretty useful. 
I, I really love it, to be honest. I like the first time when I learned about X-Day, I think I, I met David Piano, who is the creator of X-Day a while ago in Taiwan. And I, I spoke to him there. I didn't I didn't have a chance to look at X-Day, but I always have it on my list. So one day I was, I was looking at X-Day and I did the whole course in uh, Front End Master and I fell in love instantly. It's like, it's so easy to understand. It is so, it makes a lot of sense. Mm, I'm not one of those people to understand <laughs> it easily. So being my typical wanting to know the details and how things are constructed, I got a couple questions. So I'm looking at the X-State documentation, xstate.js.org. And so it talks about state nodes and state node types and state machines. I guess what I'm trying to get my head around first is how you define a state machine in terms of what is what does that machine manage? I'm going to assume that you're going to find define that as it best fits your application. So, for instance, would you define one state machine for managing a user versus one state machine for managing some other type of data structure? What what data should a state machine encapsulate? Well, the truth is a state machine can encapsulate any type of data that you wish, any type of uh, yeah, any type of data or any type of state you diagram that you you wish to control, wish it has to have it has to have the common characteristic. Let's say any data or any uh, diagram have to have at least one initial state, and from one state moving to another state, then the number of state is finite. That's what we call a finite state machine because it's it's finite. So. It's predictable. You know exactly how many states you have for a certain data flow or a certain, let's say, a route flow or a, a diagram. And from one state to another, the only way can 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 move from one state to another is that you have to trigger some sort of action, which is an event. So now, is that say, like Vuex where, where your actions are async? Or yeah, is, it's, is it... it's very it's actually Vuex and XStay are both state management. So in some sense, it's very similar to each other. But Vuex is more for data management, which means you manage the data for the whole application. And XStay are meant to, to manage the state diagram of a, a component, internal component, rather than the, than, than the whole than the the whole concept of like VUX, like the whole app. One good example is that let's say a toggle button. So you have a toggle button like on and off, right? So you can create an X state, an X state machine that only for this on and off button, but can reuse the same logic of the, the machine and create a new instance from that machine for another button. So you don't have to rewrite uh, the machine or you don't have to rewrite the, the extra machine for for a toggle button. You can just use the same machine but create two instant that from this machine and it's already have on the state and you can manu- manipulate but you create your own local state with X state. So if I'm so what that sounds like to me is an object-oriented programming type of methodology where you're creating a, an, an instance from a class, an object from a class. Is that right? Well, it's in a sense, I would say yes. Yeah, it's kind of like you create, you, you define a, a global object and then uh, you create an instance from that object. So you keep the definition of the, of the, of the machine itself and then you just create instance from the definition. Okay, so the next question, looking again, looking, <coughs> excuse me, looking through the documentation, you mentioned that Vuex is more for managing all your data, you know, your user data, your account data, your product data, et cetera. And what this looks to me is that everything is, is you're basically managing a list of values. So whether they're Boolean values off and on or a predetermined list of possible values for a state, beginning, middle, end, or something like that as compared to, you know, chunks of, of data. Is that correct? I didn't get it. Can you repeat it? Well, so... The the values that I'm representing in this state machine, you mentioned earlier that Vuex is something you would use in Chernobyl for managing, you know, and storing in the browser your user account data or your 
application data or something like that, big chunks of data, whole you know object containing name, address, phone number. Whereas as I'm understanding the state machines, you're basically storing saying, okay, these are all the possible values for the different states. And then you're using the machine to manage at what, at what state your machine is at. Does that make sense? Lindsay, yeah. you with me? I think so. So you're not I'm dumping a whole the, bunch I'm, of I'm data. Looking. You're not dumping yeah. a whole bunch of data into it. You're, you've predefined, okay, these are my different states and their values. And then the machine is managing at what state your given machine is in at a, at a given exactly. time. Exactly. Okay. This is okay. like a predictable predictable state. <laughs> okay. That starts to make a little more sense. So basically, yeah, it's I, th like, I uh, think, sorry. Maya, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I feel like there's a bit of overlap in, in the term state in this case, mm -hmm. where in view in particular, we, when we talk about state, we're talking about the actual data that has been loaded into your application, like list of users or list of posts or something like that, where X state is referring to state as in whether your application is loading or whether a button is yeah. enabled, disabled based on a state. So it's using state more as what like drives the interface's current yeah, it's like an indicator. <laughs> I want to say it's more yeah. like an indicator as well, compared to a holding to a holding container for data. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean this the, the word state is pretty confusing if you're talking about Vuex and X state because I for I think like like you said, I, I would say that it's more like status or indicator. Right. Yeah, rather than the centralized like the the whole data management in the app. That said, though, I've seen looking at React as well as Vue, some people are like, replace Redux with X state or re replace Vuex with X state. Is that something that's actually feasible? Can you actually hold a, a global, let's let's call it a data bucket for mixing up other terms? Yeah, it doesn't, sound like you, doesn't sound like you can. The more we talked about it, the more it sounds like they're <laughs> complementary, not, not something that you can replace one with the other. Well, the truth is, uh, it's a state management. So theoretically, you can replace Vuex or Redux or even Muppet with XState, but whether you should or not, that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Well, I would say, uh, like David Piano, he mentioned it before, it's not meant to replace Vuex and it's not meant to replace Redux because it was meant for a very different purposes. Like like you like we said before, to to manage the UI indicator or statuses. So I wouldn't I wouldn't replace it with Vuex or Redux. Right. I, I mean you can well correct me if I'm wrong, but okay, so and I've done this before in apps with Vuex. It's it seems like what state machine is doing in terms of managing the condition or state to use our overused word here of a specific object like you gave an example of a toggle button maybe for a drop down list but you can do the same thing in vuex right you can you could have state values that are on or off and you can change their values you could have multiple values you can do all that stuff in vuex it might be a little more work so i guess i'm trying to understand What's the benefit of, of something like state machines over Vuex in a case like that? Well, the choice, yeah, you definitely, either way, you can always do the same thing that you do on Vuex to in X-Day and vice versa. So it's, after all, it's the, like we said, it's state management. But the, well, for me, I think that you can do in in Vuex, but in Vuex, it sounds a little bit like, it's still like a little bit like over, how do you say the word, overwork? No. Too much work. And, it's easier to do it in X state than it is in Vuex. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah. Also, it's also much easier because the way X state is organized is much easier to understand. So if you were looking at the documentation, it's not it's not easier to understand. More straightforward. So if you look at the documentation of X state, you create a machine. So you redefine the different state, and from you can actually point from one state to another. Let's say. If you have a loading and then success or failure, this is a fetch. How this is a fetch state for fetching. So let's say from loading, you can say, okay, from loading, it has to go to, if we trigger this event, it has to go to succeed. 
And if you trigger the other event, it will go to failure. Or if you trigger on failure, you trigger, let's say, refresh or retry, go back to loading. So this this is like you already create the whole diagram now and by just define on in the in the machine itself, in the in the object of the same machine itself. Meanwhile, in Vuex, it's I think in a few always feel like Vuex, you can get into a very messy and you can you can be unorganized in Vuex. And it's actually by being by being organized in Vuex or in any other same machine for this specific use case, you actually make it your code very, very unorganized and and that's lead to other problems. Let's say one day if we want to add another state or add another, yeah, add another state, say from loading, you want to have to, instead of going to end of the state of, uh, instead of going to succeed, you want to add another state in the middle between loading and succeed. For X day, you can actually add it in and you know exactly where it's staying, where it's low, and you can really visualize the, the diagram just by looking at the code. But in stay in in Vuex, I I'm sh- I'm not sure this is very possible. But again, it's just me. So. <laughs> so we've talked a bit around XState and what it solves. How can we integrate XState with Vue in this case? Let's um, let's say I wanted to. We're not going to replace Vuex. We've been over that. But we just want to use it. We want to have a component that you know is able to fetch data using using the common example, right? We want to fetch data and properly relay that state to the user, as well as not get into an impossible situation where things are success and failure. What, what would be the course of action to integrate Vuex, or not Vuex, sorry, XState with uh, Vue? Well, if we use, if we're talking about Vue 3, hopefully it's, it's become very popular by now because it's just really last year and not a lot of work still, maybe it's already, migrated anyway so it would be it will treat with for x day they have a special hook for view tree package on i think x day slash view and you can actually use in the use use machine which is a hook that create for view and you just need to import the basically install the package import it and just create an instant, or you can even create a mach- machine, define a machine using JavaScript or TypeScript, whenever you like, and uh, and then um, take the, the interpreter, which is the, which is the, the how to say it, it's, it's the interpreter, like the, um, interpret the machine and create and give you the service, that the service instant from the machine, and this service instant already have on the state initialized and mapped accordingly. And this one, you can already start to to use it in your component. And you don't have to create a local state. You don't have to use use rep. You don't have, sorry, not use rep. I think something about use rep. I, I've been working with the React recently, so it's kind oh, of... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you know what I mean. On the local state handling, you don't have to because this is already integrated inside the view inside the uh, view tree mechanism. So you just need to take it to import the, the package and use it, and you can actually map the state to the UI uh, directly. It's hard to say on the on air, but <laughs> I have the the whole. Let me see. I think I have the GitHub uh, code that um, anyone interested can also take a look. So it's have a demo for that. And also in XA, they have a very good tutorial or recipe for view user. So if you're on XA website, so on the, on the left banner, we have tutorials and recipes. And each of these have a very specific uh, code snippet that you can take a look and copy it and paste it in your code and just, just play with it. It's already working. I will also send my code. <laughs> okay, here you go. So you can go to my Shavinshlat-view-tree-xa-demo. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or 
If you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's always the, the difficulty with looking at a library like this. It's, all right, it seems really cool. How do I use it? <laughs> but, <laughs> but that is only for that question, which I'm super, super, super excited about this essay is the, the visualizer. So they have a very oh, yeah. great visualizer. I don't know how he did that, but he did an awesome job. So if you go to the web, the documentation, the visualizer of X-Day, you can actually play with it. So it can be like this. You can drag and drop a state. And on the right banner, we have already have the code generated for you according to the state you drag and drop. You can also you know, write your own code and then do uh, like click on update and then it will just map it into the diagram for you. So you know exactly the flow of your application from one state to another which event is triggered, what state is going to be, and so on. Yeah, the visualizer is really cool. And can you take, I don't know, I don't even know what I want to ask about it. It's just, it seems really powerful that you can just explore this this concept of state machines and just see it visually. Yeah, uh, I feel like a lot, a, a lot of times, especially when, when you're using non-finite state machines, you get really lost thinking about the logic and just being able to look at it seems extremely helpful yeah it's, it's like if you don't if you cannot put it into words you put it into diagram then suddenly everything becomes much clearer also this visualizer if you click on the action then you can see how the how the flow go like it's actually highlight for you which stays on and what events can be triggered it's super cool oh that's really nice so i can just walk through mm-hmm. what the application should do and I'm just looking at their their base example, which is the fetching data. Once I got to success, the way the state machine is written, I can't refire that request because it's already succeeded. There's no reason to fire it again. And right. the code actually prevents you from doing that. Right. And I you know if say let's say if you want to add another another state, you know exactly what, where you want to add and what have it had to lead to because there's no, how to say, surprise event here. Yeah. Also, um, also what, another thing I like about this is that when you do, let's say, uh, planning for unit testing, which is very important. Um, so if you look at the diagram, you know what you need to test. Right, because instead of just having to look for, for particular lines that you need to test and, and get code coverage, you can see exactly the flow of the application and test for that instead, right? Right. And if you look at the right banner of the visualizer in the, they have three different tabs, which is definition, which is on the definition of the machine that you provide, like on the state, on the mapping. And then on the second tab is the state, which it will show you what state is currently in, like the current state and what action is happening, what other subterrain that it has. And the third state, the third tab is event that every time when you click on an event it will appear here so it tell you what event is triggered at the moment oh i or see you- and then you can and then you can do replays as well yeah very cool yeah i definitely recommend you should check this out if you want to start digging in this seems like a really easy way to get started i actually wonder if if, if, if david ever make a piano x-day diagram <laughs> <laughs> Since he's, he's, uh, he's always talking about playing piano, so, you know. <laughs> if he hasn't, he should. Although, piano might not work since it's you, you could technically press every key at once. Well, that's true. I wonder how he will handle that. Hmm. Maybe we should shout out to David uh, on Twitter after this episode is on air. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to ask him. So, sounds like you've been using this some on your own, Maya. Have you run into any gotchas or anything that a new developer exploring X state we need to be aware of, well, or is, has um, it been all has it been all just wonderful and everyone should just adopt <laughs> it immediately? To be honest, I haven't used it enough to tell you exactly if like the experience has changed on us because 
I only use it in a very uh, in a minor scale. At the moment, uh, we're planning to use it in our project in my new in my new workplace. So we will see. But so far, so good. Really, like I know there's a lot of this. Of course, there's nothing perfect. So there's doubt, there's pro and there's cons. At the moment, it seems to me like on the pros, on the benefits is much way much better. The the downsides, I would say, the concept like it took a while for us to actually understand the concept of X day, final day machines. Let's not talk about deterministic or oh, wow, the definition of fight tuple or whatsoever on wiki. It's so hard to remember. It's so hard to have to understand. It requires a bit of learning skill because it's actually going, how to say, it changed the way you you think. We like to, to write first, we test it out, and then we add more stuff on the way we go. We see if it works. Most of the time, I don't. I would say, I don't know, correct me, I'm wrong, but most of the time I would say not a lot of developers would sit down and actually trying to draw or try to predefine the state that he has rather than just get into the code, start writing, okay, we need a loading and load it. Go on, let's just have a Boolean and then we add more along the way. So with using Xday, you cannot do that. So you have to sit down, you plan ahead, how many states you want to have. And then only after that, we start to, to implement in the code. So so this requires a bit of habit changing. Planning ahead? Right. Why would I want to do that? Well, you know, <laughs> good question. For, I guess, for better code maintenance later on. So let's say if you start easy now, you may end up with, a bunch of spaghetti code when your application becomes huge. But if you start hard now, you have everything in order. Everything is um is it has a design proper in module in like in a way that they want you to do. Then when it scale, you will find it much easier to add more stuff or to test more stuff. So let me ask you a question: How many times do you do you add some? feature uh, another boolean into your component and you are not sure if it breaks something without noticing in your in your component uh, i don't know if i should talk about all the times <laughs> i added booleans especially as i was a newer developer but it's definitely an easy thing to reach to and if you're on a deadline so easy to just say i'll oh, just add a boolean here with what's the harm what what could go wrong well, yeah, but then if you add another Boolean, then you have another problem, right? So I say if you have another Boolean and another Boolean, well, for example, display error message or not display error message or loading. No, it's loading, but it's still loading. And Sorry, loaded or not loaded. And then you add another one, it's loading. And then you add another one, is display message while loading and so on. I couldn't have a lot of things there. Yeah, I, I recently put up a blog post on the this.web website also talking about this this concept of of being able to compute your your UI based off of a finite state. And that's something that can be used off of X state, I would assume as well. Like if you're in a loading state, you can check your finite state machine. I'm in a loading state. And if I'm in a loading state, I do this, 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 and this yeah. uh, with computed properties in view. Right, right. Yeah, also if you use, actually, if you use Xday, you don't even need the compute property because if you predefine the context of a certain state, then you already have the context to display. You don't have to think about, you don't have to create like 10 different computed properties just to handle a certain set of states. That's true. Yeah, it's even better. Cool. So one of the, the reasons I've been hesitant to adopt Xstate or, or rather, one of the reasons I've been hesitant to to suggest it to my team is one, it feels like a large learning curve, but two, it feels like you're writing a lot of boilerplate. Just looking at this example of a loading state where you go from idle to loading to failure or success, I feel like there's a lot of extra code and brackets and things here. And I know at the end of the day, this would make my code better. I just feel like it'd be a harder sell to my team to, to convince them that writing more boilerplate is a good thing. How, yeah. how do you feel about that? How have you approached that, Maya? Well, that's true. It's also harder to 
to convince someone to write more, more boilerplate and more abstract code. Well, for me, I just ask, are you are you willing to refactor your code every two weeks or a month if you don't you exit? And if it's not will if it's not willing, so let you exit. <laughs> I mean, that's true. That's that's the trade-off, right? If if yeah. you're not willing to build your patterns right the first time, then you're going to write them back again and again and again. Yeah, but it's also the matter of like what you want to achieve. I say either way, when we write an application, we write in reusable component. We cannot just write component that can only be used in one project or we can only be used in very specific view or some sort. We still need to create some set of boilerplate components. So this is a one step. If we already do that and we're okay with writing components, reusable components, so why not writing a reusable state machine or reusable diagram for the future use or for also for other components? It can take about one day to write the state machine, to design it, to write it, or about a week. But later on, when you have to implement a new feature to it, it takes half of the time compared to if you do something quick and dirty, dirty right now, it works. But later on, when you add something, you need to make sure your unit testing pass. You need to make sure that the QA check also before and after. All of this overhead, all of this cost in the end is much bigger than if you plan correctly. And also that's also the whole thing about application and like design planning that we always have when we build a new application, right? Yeah. So in a way, X state is like a down payment on technical debt. So you don't have to pay the debt later. Yeah, exactly. There we go. That's that's brilliant. <laughs> you see, that's why I like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, one, no one I'm likes any for depth. No one likes any for depth. <laughs> well, unless you're 37 signals, but I've heard them talk about technical debt being good, but that's another issue. So, a couple of things for those of the uninitiated when I said I was shocked about doing planning ahead, that was said tongue in cheek, by the way. And then after listening to all this, Lindsay, I think you would agree with me that I would be ecstatic to use X state in view. Well played. I like it. <laughs> or you could say ex, ecstatic, ecstatic, you know, you get the idea. Yeah. I, I, di I didn't think about it, but yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> I like it. Awesome. Well, Maya, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us about X state. This has been excellent. Thank you for having me. It's always so nice to talk about things that I like with other people. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Hey, folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit, and you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. Okay, at this point, we'll move on to picks. Picks are the part of the show where we share things that we like with the community. They don't have to be programming related. And I will start with Steve today. Steve, what is your pick today? Well, first, we got to continue with the dad joke routine. So, you know, in the past, I've talked I, about- I thought we did that with the X's. You're right. I'm going to continue even more. Talked about my sordid job history and like how I got fired from the bank because the old lady came in and asked for her balance and I pushed her over. So later in my life, I, I was in a job as a tightrope walker, you know, like in the circus, but they refused the bank that I worked at refused to give me a loan because they said I had an outstanding balance. Wow. But then just recently I had to fire the guy that I hired to mow my lawn because he just wasn't cutting it. So. Oh no. <laughs> Seriously? 
no, not seriously, but uh, <laughs> I can't fire my son. But oh. anyway, I do, <laughs> I do have another pick. And this was a blog post that I came across on Hacker News. And it's written by a guy named David Perel. I think that's how you say it. P-E-R-E-L-L. And it's called Why You're Christian. And the gist of the article is how, for those people that most, and probably this is going to be most anybody, we talk about human rights in general, it's, you can't separate the belief in human rights without Christianity. One of his statements in the word is, in other words, if you believe in human rights, but don't believe in God, you need a logical explanation for why they're self-evident. So it's a very long post. It's a very good post. And it's, for me, it's, it's consistent with many other things and how you see outside of religion, how you see Bible and Christianity has impacted in particularly Western society, you know, since the first century and in a number of ways, you know, one of my favorite examples, two favorite examples from a literature standpoint, for instance, we think of the term scapegoat. Where does the term scapegoat come from? And if you look in the book of Leviticus chapter 11, you'll see that a scapegoat was used in uh, transferring sin to this goat and it was cast out of the camp uh, from the days of their sacrifices. Or for instance, if you talk about the phrase, the writing is on the wall, you know, it's a phrase that we've often heard and, and used ourselves. It comes from the book of Daniel. And I forget, the, I want to say it's King Xerxes was in his palace and a hand was writing on the wall, many, many something. And I forget the actual phrase, but and I'll put the reference uh, in the show notes, but that's where the phrase comes from. So all that to say, there's a lot in Western society that can't be explained or that we get from the Bible and Christianity. So David Perel, and I'll put the link in the show notes. Well, thank you. Maya, do you have a pick for us today? Well, yeah, I have one pick for it. Well, is it a shameless pick or no? <laughs> no. It can be as shameless as you want. <laughs> we have no shame here. Can't you tell? <laughs> <laughs> so I only have one, right? It's hard to choose because previously I was saying I was talking about my uh, my Mac M1 that I got. I just got myself a Mac M1, uh, which is run which is using ARM chips uh, instead of uh, normal Intel, and I must say it's way way so good. It's like excellent machines, and it's not and it's so compact. You know how the Mac Mini is designed is very very round, sorry, not round, it's very square and it's really lightweight. And uh, I can run a lot of things on that compared to the same Mac Mini that I used to have about two years ago. This one is much faster and I can do video editing and I can do a lot of things and I absolutely like it. The only thing I don't like about this is that it doesn't come with a screen. But other than that, everything is cool. <laughs> yeah, a buddy of mine has... Uh got one of the first MacBook Airs. I think it was a MacBook Air 13 inch with the M1 chip and he loves it. He said it is crazy how fast it is. And then from a battery standpoint, um, you can get, he'll get like 12 or 13 hours out of a battery. Wow. Uh, with that just, and he, you know, he's on his laptop all day running his business. And so it's just crazy the amount of battery life you get out of it. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I kind of think that Intel is losing the, the race right now because the the ARM chip is much much better. I cannot I cannot wait for the the new MacBook. They're going to have another one like 16 inch. Yes. Supposed to be coming very soon. Yes. So I'm I'm waiting for that. Yes, I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah, eyeing the the new iMacs that were announced recently. Trying to decide if I want one of those for work purposes. Heard good things about the M1. I have an i7 processor in my laptop, but I'm I'm kind of tired of the fan spinning up just when I open up docker you know oh man oh no isn't that so true <laughs> there's a That's funny there's a funny tweet i saw one time Lindsay, and i don't remember if i've mentioned this to you or not and all it does is it shows this gal's got a, a laptop and the title is when you start up docker or something like that <laughs> and she clicks to start docker and then you hear this jet airplane uh <laughs> sound and she's looking at her laptop like what the <laughs> one of the funniest <laughs> tweets i've ever seen Wait, I can tell you also another story about my, me myself. I have a, I, I used to have a Mac 16 inch, I think, with the i7. And every time when I run Visual Studio Code, I have about three different, no, two Visual Studio Code and and the environment running in my background. And every time when I enter the enter the meeting room, suddenly everyone hearing the 
the fan running, like the whole entire meeting room here. And it was crazy. It's super hot. Yeah, I, I've i been paying attention more to my, my computer. And it's it's been getting pretty warm. And the, the fans have been running a lot louder than normal. I noticed that WSL, the Windows subsystem for Linux, has been taking up at least 9 gigabytes of my 16 gigabytes of RAM. Wow. Uh, share and share alike. You got to share that RAM, you know? Oh, yeah. I just think it's part of, partly Docker and partly... I, I know not all of that memory is being used by WSL at one time. It's just allocated. But it still means that the rest of my system starts to chug if I'm doing something in Windows and WSL. And I don't know, that M1, it looks really interesting. I don't know if I need to wait for the M2 or just get it. So, oh, are they we'll already see. talking M2? I haven't heard anything. I haven't uh, it's, it's the rumors for next month. Next I month. don't know. Oh, knowing, wow. I don't know, but knowing Apple, I'd probably waiting for M1 Plus instead of M2. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> and it seems that that a lot of the apps that had to be written are, are catching up. For instance, I know that initially Homebrew was not compatible with the M1 chip, but if I remember correctly, it is now. And I'm sure there are many other you know common applications and and tools tools that will need to adapt. But they seem to be catching up. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I, it would have to because more and more people are using the M1 right now. And um, that would be a shame that if you don't have it supported. <laughs> yeah, Docker was my last holdout, but that's, that released a stable version and everything seems to be fine. So I'm, I'm ready to just dive in. I just need to decide to spend the money. They were well. They really weren't that much more expensive, if I remember correctly. They're about the same price. It wasn't like they were, you know, yeah, yeah cost yeah. or anything. They were pretty, fairly reasonably priced, as I remember. Yeah, yeah my, my difficulty is I have a perfectly good laptop. I do I need yes. two? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, my reason is I have a Windows laptop now, and I'm not a fan so much. <laughs> yeah, Microsoft gives you a Windows laptop. Are you serious? <laughs> 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 but seriously, I, I'm assuming they do they allow you to have Macs or will they provide Macs for you if you ask them ask for them? Well the well they do allow you to choose which which uh, hardware you want to have, but it only depends on the team and it only depends on what software you have to develop for True. for Mac, for our project. There's certain software that's not compatible with Mac, so we cannot uh, yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. I mean, I like I like Edge. They actually do a very good job with uh, with Edge in general. I rarely feel the difference compared to Chrome or even compared to well, IE eleven. <laughs> yeah, I really like it. To be honest, Edge is really nice. If I wasn't using the Brave browser, I would be using Edge. Oh yeah, I, I haven't used that one. I just use Edge. Yeah. Okay. I I think we could turn into a second episode here, so I'm going to continue in the interest of. Uh, Letting, letting our listeners continue as well. My, my pick today is uh, actually about WSL. It is the initial preview of the GUI app support is now available for the Windows subsystem for Linux. I feel like many people would look at this and say it's an example of we asked how to do it, but not whether we should. But <laughs> in many cases, having access to actual GUI applications from the Windows subsystem for Linux is very useful. The The big one that I run into all the time is Cypress. Cypress requires a graphical interface to work. I haven't been able to get it to work in just a headless mode without having X server installed on my local Windows device. So having a built-in way to run graphical interface without using third-party tools or anything sounds really, really nice. Ideally for me, I'd be able to do Linux applications, Windows applications, they just sit side by side, and I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. So that's what I'm hoping for out of this. It is in the latest preview version of Windows 10, uh, so hopefully it'll be landing later this year. And I will let you know all about it if I do not end up buying an M1 Mac. So explain <laughs> this to me real quick. So I, I've interviewed people from Cypress before, I believe on this podcast, but I haven't actually got to use it. I've been using Dusk with Laravel for browser testing. So I'm curious, so you, when you say Cypress requires a graphical user interface, is that for creating the test, like a drag and drop thing, or for running them? Because I know like in Dusk, it just fires up a copy of whatever browser you, you choose to use. So F, you don't necessarily need a graphical interface to either create or run the tests. There is a graphical mode. So the, the way that Cypress works is it's, it's actually booting up your application, going to a URL, and 
using it like an end user would use your website. So recently I've been building just a very basic website and doing tests like navigating between the different pages, making sure the links work, make sure you're on the correct page that you would expect, make sure that certain images have loaded and they're not just throwing errors, things like that. You don't necessarily need a full graphical interface to run it as a developer, right? You can run it in a headless mode and it will generate screenshots and videos for you so you can see how your application is responding. But to do any of that, it needs to have access to a graphical tool of some sort, even if it's not displaying it to you as the as the developer. So if you're running Cypress in the Windows subsystem for Linux, you're going to get errors because it can't find, in, in the case of Linux, an X server to, to do the, the rendering of the application. So what I had to do was install XLaunch, I believe is what it's called, which is just an X server for Windows. And then I point my Windows subsystem for Linux at that X server in order to render all of my, my Cypress tests. So that way I can run Cypress either in, in its development environment, I can see my application, or just running it headless, and I still get the, the videos and screenshots and things at the end of the test. But when you're writing the test, you're, you can just write it in your text editor, VS Code, for example, and nice. you're just writing just, just like Jest or Mocha or Selenium. You know, you're right. just writing out your tests and you're writing right. out your assertions, just the same. Right. Nice. Oh, yeah, it's for Microsoft. <laughs> go Microsoft. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> All right, so that was my pick. Maybe we should get Cypress people back on. I know the uh, component testing is proceeding very well on their side. Yeah, that'd be good. It's been a while, I think. Yeah, cool. Well, Maya, thank you again for coming on the show. You mentioned it at the start, but where can people find you if they want to reach out, talk about XState, Cloudinary, Storefront UI, any of the things that you're working on? Well, um, you can reach me on my Twitter at uh, Maya Chauvin, or you can uh, visit me on uh, mayachauvin.com. I also, I'm also, you can also go to Medium. I have also a Medium blog, even though I'm not sure I will continue to read right in there. But yeah, in uh, my Medium is medium.com, but at Maya Chauvin, I think. Basically, everywhere, I also on GitHub, everywhere you can find me with the, the alias Maya Chauvin together. Excellent. So, thank you. And like I said, thank you for coming on. This was great. Well, thank you for having me. It's so nice to be back here and to, to talk to you again. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we have been ecstatic to have you. <laughs> ecstatic about X Day. Wow. There you go. That might be the title. Oh, yes. Great. Well, I hope you all enjoyed this episode as well. If you want to find more from us, you can get more episodes at viewsonview.com or at devchat.tv. You can also find us on Twitter at viewsonview. You can find myself on Twitter at Lindsay K. Wardell, and you can find Steve at Wonder95. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you again next week. Adios. Adios. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.